and welcome back to the final episode of Series 3 of Manchester's Big Theatre Podcast. Cannot believe that it's the final episode already. It's gone so, so quickly and we have had some brilliant guests on this series. If you've missed any episodes, you can catch up on any of them on either our website, www.mbtpodcast.co.uk or you can go onto Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts from and you can search for us there. We went to the Lowry a few months back and interviewed Rachel Morehouse, who's one half of Art with Heart. Sarah Emmett is the other half, who couldn't be with us, but we heard all about their journey to create such a fantastic theatre company and more about who they are and what and what they do. Hope you enjoy. Hello, we are here with Rachel Morehouse, the first podcast guest to give us a present woo woo uh, of some uh, raffaello is that how you say it i don't know <laughs> i don't know but i think i think they look interesting and i'm really upset that i can't eat them they're like white ferrero rochers yeah. uh, so anyway so this is rachel Moore- <laughs> this is rachel morehouse who is with art with heart uh, and unfortunately sarah can't be with us today no. but we've got we've got you to ourselves. I can represent, I can represent. Um, so first of all, what, uh, what is Art With Heart? So, Art With Heart are a theatre company, I guess. I always struggle between theatre company and arts company because we don't just do theatre, but I suppose that's what we're most known for. Uh, so we are a theatre company. Um, we're based at the Lowry, where we are today recording, which is very exciting. And we make uh, performance, participation and education projects um, amongst ourselves, with communities, with other artists. Um, and we also deliver training for students and other artists around kind of making work in the theatre industry. Uh yeah and how uh, and how did it start how did the company start when did it start so it started officially in 2010 and it was a one-woman show so sarah the co-director who can't be here today sarah emmett um started the company and was sort of doing everything and i don't think quite realized how much she was doing like she didn't call herself a producer for a lot of years and she was completely producing all the work that the company did um and she started sort of writing her own theater delivering um some really interesting kind of work in theater and education and with communities and then in 2012 she uh put in her first arts council bid to uh create a show called secret diaries which was a show set between the 80s and then present day uh, looking at a young woman's sort of coming of age and exploration of her sexuality and family identity and she essentially bullied me into becoming the director of that project (laughs) I'm really glad she's not here today so I get to tell it that way she hates when I say that Um, she's very persistent and brilliant Uh, essentially she got in touch with me because we I'd programmed her as part of a festival called Lost and Found uh, which I was producing at Contact Theatre and we programmed Sarah to do some work on trams Uh, Sarah can talk to anyone as you'll know because you've met her before and uh, when she came along for the interview day she was one of a couple of artists that we completely trusted to engage with sort of unsuspecting members of the public and get them on side to deliver work. So I worked with her over a couple of years and then she invited me for a coffee and asked me to direct Secret Diaries. Uh, at the time, I'd not directed in a long while and I'd sort of fallen out of love with it. Um, I'd 
been doing a young programmer scheme at Contact Theatre, which I was really enjoying. I essentially said to her, it sounds brilliant. I love the script. You're great. Want to work with you. I'm going to produce it. Let's find a director. She then said, no, you're directing it. <laughs> uh, and I said, I don't, I don't think I am. I think, I think I can help you make this and I really like what you're doing. Uh, there's a lot of other work that goes around the, the show, which I'm really interested in, kind of education, outreach work. Um, then I agreed to meet her again at Manchester Art Gallery and she'd been on a workshop with Ricky Beadle Blair, who's an awesome filmmaker, queer artist, and essentially taught people how to do a really good three-minute pitch. And she did a really good three-minute pitch. And apparently I said yes. I didn't even realise I did. Um, <laughs> and then we started making work together and I think we very quickly realised that we both really care in very equal measure about um, both the performance work we make but also what supports that performance work and how... Uh, the supporting kind of workshops and outreach work can help create a stronger legacy and more of an impact to the people we work with um, and just sort of realise that our vision aligned in that sense. So started to build a company in a really difficult climate to make work. We thought it'd be a great idea. Mm -hmm. So lots of cuts. We were like, why not? Uh, threw all our eggs in a basket and just started to make work, really. Yeah. And, and that um, relationship between the participation work and the performance work can you talk a little bit more about that and how does it work in practice yeah definitely um i think probably the best thing to do is give you an example of a project we've worked on so the last uh the last performance project that we did uh was a show called declaration which um was an autobiographical piece of work solo show um about sarah's personal experience of receiving a diagnosis for ADHD at the age of 30 and I suppose the fallout of that and how that made her reassess uh, I think her life before and also looking at how difficult and challenging it was as an adult woman with ADHD to both get a diagnosis and then to look for visible role models uh, who could help her feel kind of positive. So one of the things that we did with Declaration is we had the performance, the show. We also then partnered with the ADHD Foundation, who are an incredible national charity, doing brilliant work um, to kind of reiterate some more of the positive aspects of ADHD. Um, and we worked with them to deliver a series of training sessions at all the theatres uh, around the country where we toured with the work and they would work with people across kind of youth services people in kind of youth criminal justice people in schools education doctors to help them have a better understanding of ADHD and how to create better environments for people with ADHD that they work with we then also um, had something called space which toured with declaration so one of the things that we were aware of is you know how much work there is now about mental health and about kind of really difficult subject matters and often as an audience member we'd personally experienced over the last few years going into theatres and coming out and feeling really really kind of I suppose triggered is the key word that everyone says but I suppose triggered by some of those subject matters and we felt that there wasn't much care given apart from like a single little sheet with like contact mind if you're having trouble so we developed a well-being space that toured alongside called space uh, that toured alongside the work it was developed by a mental health practitioner called Steph Walker and that was a space for audiences to go afterwards ground themselves after the performance and spend a bit of time to figure out what they need to be well and that opened for an hour after the performance 
Uh, and then we did lots of other things around workshops with young people with ADHD and adults with ADHD. Um, so it's kind of a lot of really targeted work that happens. So it's a bit of a kind of holistic approach to how we work with audiences. And, and what was the reception to the, the space? How was that received? Really well, actually. Um, and funnily enough, we had a really honest conversation with Claire Simmons, who works here, a programmer at the Lowry, who's sort of our mentor, I suppose. And um, she really liked the idea for space. And I suppose she questioned how many people would use it. Um, and also, I suppose, how easily that would tour and how, how easily some of the smaller venues would be able to give, you know, a company that are rocking up to their studio for one night another space in their building for a day. Um, and after, after kind of we opened the show at the Lowry, um, I'd say a good 80 to 90% of the audience went and used that space which was amazing and um, we've had quite a lot of theatres that we've toured to approach Steph, brilliant, awesome mental health practitioner to talk about sort of developing a similar space for their audiences at those venues and it was very similar across the tour. It averaged, I reckon, about 80% of audiences and I think because we really actively encourage it and we talk about it after the show, um, we don't kind of, you know, we really signpost it and we tell people, we, we tell them there's a free brew and biscuits and then no. most people go just on the base of that and then stay for like an hour. Um, so yeah, it was really well received, um, which we were really pleased with. And how, so how does it work? So I leave the show yeah, and so I'm you, aware that there's a free biscuit. Yeah, you're aware of the free biscuit. We leave like a trail of crumbs. No, we don't, we don't. Don't hate that. Uh, so yeah, at the end, at the end of the show, um, essentially sort of, I'll say without giving too much away, but I think we've packed that show away for a while. But the play finishes with asking the audience, what do you need? Um, Sarah leaves the space and she doesn't come back in, which people always freak out about. They're like, but how do we clap the performer? And it's like, well, it's not about her anymore. It's about you. Um, and we stand up and we talk to people and we say, we are touring the show with this mobile wellbeing room. It's become a sort of living exhibition. And there's lots of interactive aspects within the room where people can leave suggestions for how to better look after yourself, things that make them feel good. There's also like really detailed information about local services that people can take away. So we, we, we're very clear about what that is and we really encourage people. We say, even if you just go in five minutes and have a cup of tea, it's a really good space to just take a bit of time for yourselves. Um, and then we sort of really hammer it home with the front of house staff. And most people, once they get in there, really respond to it because it's a really quiet space. It's just a space to ground yourself. So I think what we forget often is that theatres are really busy places and often people leave those shows and either go into a really busy bar where everyone's kind of drinking, socialising, there's a lot of loud noise, or they're kind of off out into the street getting the last bus home. And if you've just seen something that's brought something up about yourself or your own personal experiences that you're struggling with, I think we have a responsibility if we're going to put work that makes people feel like that to look after them afterwards and get them in a space where they feel more able to leave a theatre. Because also we have a lot of people come and watch the work who come on their own. And I think often we forget that, you know, for them that can be quite a struggle afterwards. So, mm. yeah. Oh, that's very interesting. And is, have people... Have you seen the model replicated by other companies? Uh, we've had a couple of people that we've spoken to about the work who've created I suppose, similar spaces, like there's breakout spaces, um, and we've had quite a lot of interest of people. I think people are really talking about it and trying to figure out better ways to look after audiences, which is a really positive thing. Um, and we only want to encourage that. You know, We're not kind of wanting to keep this thing we've got in a corner. We really want people to look after their audiences better. So I think we're starting to get a lot of questions and a lot of people getting in touch with us about that work. Um, and I think venues are starting to take that a lot more seriously now as well. So, yeah, I think we'll see more of it. I really hope so anyway, because I think 
I think we have the more work that I think in this climate a lot of work has been made about mental health and health arts and health is kind of a really big buzzy thing at the moment and I think the more work we put on stages about people's experiences the better but we can't just leave them with that we need to take care of them afterwards so and you said about the journey you kind of mentioned briefly the journey that you're uh, company went on when you started in quite a difficult climate to create the company how did how did that happen how did you so it was about 2012 yeah 2012 so it's been a long slog and I would call it that I think anyone working in the arts at the moment knows how difficult the climate is I've seen a lot of brilliant producers artists companies sort of pack it up and move on because they're they're kind of struggling in this climate um we Around 2012, we were still both working kind of other jobs, uh, bit part jobs. I was also working in a venue, so I was working and doing audience development work at Contact, which I loved. And we were sort of doing Art with Heart part-time. Around 2016, um, we made a decision and after some advice that we, we became part of the development scheme at the Lara, which is a really great great kind of leg up scheme um for artists and we made a decision to apply for some funding for organizational development it was something that I think we felt I suppose quite nervous about we weren't sure whether we were established enough to apply for that funding we knew it was a difficult climate people were getting knockbacks um but we felt that we were at a point in the company kind of four years in where if we were going to establish it as a serious thing that we had to I suppose take ourselves seriously so we put in some funding to develop ourselves as an organization and we both made quite a difficult decision to say all of our eggs are in this basket we're going to kind of leave other projects by the wayside we're going to only do other work that essentially pays the bills and requires no brain space you know i was working at bags etc i don't kind of say names on this podcast yeah so far might have gone into liquidation now loved that shot bags and etc i've got so much time to talk about the etc but we're selling suitcases it it was more than just for money this job it sounds like it was a passion i had a lot of passion we we spent a lot of time talking about the etc i really loved selling purses you know weight you know the little weights for your luggage did a lot of yeah <laughs> did, did a lot of time kind of yeah selling theater tickets in call centers and uh selling selling bags over at Larry things that took very little brain space so that every other ounce of my time and energy could go into building art with heart um we were both really skint for a while which is the reality of it um but it meant that we came out of that year knowing what the company was we had more of a kind of presence both kind of online and in and amongst I suppose the industry in Manchester because we had the time to go and sit down with people to deliver workshops uh, to develop connections with community groups to build our portfolio of work um, before all of that we kind of had a website that didn't really tell you what we did and I think enabled to kind of like look at branding and how we talk about what we do we're able to kind of put our offer out there more clearly um, and also learn a lot about fundraising and how to diversify kind of the money coming into a company, keep yourself afloat. So, yeah. And have you got a thing about the last six years? Eight years? Six years? Six years, yeah. So, yeah, eight years with Sarah. Six, kind of, for me, yeah. And what are your highlights from those uh, years? Are there any moments that stand out? Oh, yeah. Uh, Okay. I'm just going to reel, there are probably quite a few, so I'll reel some off. So I think one of my highlights 
near the very beginning um the show that I mentioned earlier that we did called Secret Diaries, we it was it toured to studios and we toured with a BSL interpreter. Mm. Um, often studio work doesn't get interpreted. Uh, it's often kind of theatres will put on kind of a BSL interpreted or caption performance of the big shows in the large spaces. Um, and we had an interpreter that toured with us, a brilliant Rachel Moffat Feldman, and she interpreted our post-show workshop. And I think one of... So getting funding to take an interpreter on the road, convincing venues to help support that and pay for that was really challenging. Um, And we were really hoping that it would work because we also know that a lot of theatres don't have huge cohorts of deaf audience members, mainly because they're not providing enough for their deaf audience members. Um, And we had a young boy come along to the performance with his mum and um, it was really great to see him able to participate in the workshop element uh, be so vocal um, through the means of an interpreter um, and then afterwards to kind of speak to him and for him and his mum to say we don't usually get to do this like you know if we do come to watch a show like there's not much there's not really a way for kind of us to kind of express or be involved with what happens afterwards Um, and that isn't for us to say like a pat on the back I think people should be doing this as standard I think theatre should be funding it but it was really great to kind of see I suppose work pay off but also to be able to see and hear somebody who doesn't often get a chance to have kind of a space to discuss things to kind of put their own spin on it Um, we run an equalities workshop in schools across Greater Manchester looking at um, issues of equality and inequality in society and we asked schools is there a particular area within your school that you want us to focus on one of the areas that we're always really surprised that schools still really need a lot of support with is around looking at um, sexuality and gender identity there's still a huge hang-up from section 28 which was where schools were essentially forbidden from discussing um, sexuality in schools it was seen as promoting um, sort of unholy lifestyles um, and I think there's still a huge fear and a lack of language amongst teachers uh, of how to talk about that um, and often it's very much left to teachers who maybe identify along that spectrum um, in terms of their gender identity or sexuality to be the people who are responsible for that discussion I don't think that should be the case so one of my favourite things is going into schools and um, delivering that workshop and I suppose hearing what young people have to say about that I think young people have a much more open and relaxed attitude now which is amazing Um, I don't think that works across the board um, and I still think that everybody has to go on their kind of personal journey even if society's become more accepting um but at the end of that workshop we always ask people to kind of make a personal pledge on what they think that they can do in order to contribute to the fight for equality and i couldn't even just kind of pull one out of the bag like the the pledges that those young people make are incredible i think we don't give young people very much credit these days you know it's all like front pages because they rioted and stole some trainers and it's like no wonder they're rioting like anyway politics aside really good trainers (laughs) um but like i think it makes me really excited and really hopeful in a very difficult divisive kind of climate um that we're living in at the moment that what these young people want to do like they're so passionate about affecting change um and i think that's really exciting um so yeah 
And then I think the one other thing is around decoration, the project I talked about before. Um, one thing that's been really lovely about that is how generous our audiences have been. So we're really keen to keep conversations going with the audience afterwards. We're aware we're only there for one night and often we will have really great conversations with audiences afterwards and we're aware that they are the people that our work lives on within. Um, and one thing that we wanted to do was allow audiences a space to talk about the work, their reactions to it, their sort of thoughts in and around a subject matter. So we decided to like do a series of blogs um, and we offered them to different audience members that we'd had interesting conversations with and um, people who thought had really interesting things to say. And I think we've got about six or seven of those blogs, a few more coming out and getting the insight and personal experience of audience members and kind of watching a project develop beyond your story, your Sarah's story, our own story, um, into people's lives and hear how it's impacted them, but also kind of what they're bringing to the conversation really excites me. Um, yeah. And coming to the end of the interview, almost at the end of the interview, um, have you got any tips for people that might be out there listening, thinking about starting up their own company? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, I think one of the main things that I'd say is really figure out why you want to do it, why you want to make work. Um, you'll keep hearing that it's a difficult climate. You'll keep seeing that it's kind of theatre is growing and booming in Manchester, but it's also very oversaturated. I think it's very easy to kind of I suppose, jump in with the first person that you meet to kind of make something with. I think figure out what it is and why you want to make work, what your voice is um, in the world and in the sector, how you want to affect change or what you want to do that's interesting and different, and then figure out who you want to make that with. And I think really make sure that your values align. Um, I think it's hard. It's if you want to kind of continue to make work and make this a career, there are a lot of sacrifices that you have to make, particularly near the beginning. Um, but I think if you're in it for the right reasons, then it will pay off. I think persevere. Ask people to go for bruise. Bruise is like the biggest thing that I would advise. I got some brilliant advice from lots oh, of people. I think you meant like a, a punch, like a bruise. Oh, yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> That's quite controversial. Like, yeah. No, like don't of, ask for that. Like, yeah. yeah. A cup of tea. A cup of tea, a cup of tea, yeah. The industry's <laughs> difficult, but it shouldn't be that difficult. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, no, yeah, ask people for a cup of tea. Um, you're surprised, you'd be surprised at how generous people are, particularly people who are further ahead. And it's one thing we, we do now, an artist brew day, once every few months where we open artist up. Bruce day. Artist brews day. Artist brews day, where you can come along and really experience the kind of tough edge of it. No, this is really not what we should be advocating. Um, so we open the doors and we invite people in for a conversation to kind of ask for our advice. But we did that a lot at the beginning. And some of the best advice I got was for saying, like, please, can I buy you a cup of tea? Please, will you give me a bit of your time? Um, and I think just keep knocking on doors. I think a lot of doors are opening now, and I think don't be too afraid to go into those, go go through those doors. <laughs> Chronicles doors. of Narnia, yeah. Uh, um, <laughs> and um, what has uh, Art with Heart got coming up? Is there anything in the pipeline? The pipeline is chocker. 
Chocker, <laughs> chocker full. Uh, yes, so we've got a few things. Um, so we're going to be February, LGBT History Month. We're going to be delivering uh, a load of our equalities workshops. We've got like a month's worth going out across Greater Manchester. Um, we're also uh, Space, which is the wellbeing room that I talked about earlier with Declaration. It's now become its own exciting entity and is a mobile wellbeing room that will be popping up across Greater Manchester in libraries and community spaces for a day to allow people to go and take some time to think about their own well-being and mental health um and there's another exciting community project that i can't say much about at the moment but it's it's going to be traveling around greater manchester in a mode of transport um and it's going to be a film-based uh film-based uh installation working with lots of exciting community groups i'm really excited about it but yeah, we're kind of at the very beginnings of it, so I don't want to say too much. Um, Is it a tram, a bus, a bicycle? <laughs> None of those things. Better than all of those things. Um, penny farthing. Um, and then we're also going to be continuing to develop um, a new children's play called Stan, which Sarah has written. It's come right out of a noggin. And um, it is a very exciting bilingual play uh, written in English and BSL uh, that explains explores the friendship between a young boy who is told that when he comes home from school his father's not going to be there so it's looking at parental separation the family unit um and sort of personal identity and communication and it's based around this blossoming friendship between a young hearing boy and a young deaf girl and how she helps him to kind of navigate the changes in his family and how she helps him to learn to kind of uh, imagine and play more and, and what you can learn about yourself through imagination um, and it's named Stan after the dinosaur at the Manchester, Uni- uh, the Manchester Museum so yes it is about family and identity and communication it's also about dinosaurs oh, wow. quite big on dinosaurs um, I thought and if, <laughs> um, actually that leads us really well into the kind of final question uh, which is sometimes we ask our guests what their spirit animal is or their animal if they were an animal um what they would be can you uh tell us what yours would be definitely tell you i've spent a lot of time oh bit of excitement in the lowry there just sort of kids going to the afternoon show in case you can hear it um i love that i'm so excited that was was a screaming child yeah Yeah, i think they're excited about the spirit animal question actually they're really digging it um so i've thought a lot about my spirit animal I've asked a lot of people about it. I've spent a lot of time thinking about it over the last few years. And I have come to the realisation that I am a frog. A frog would be my spirit animal. I think I'm quite, like, limmy. Like, I'm not very graceful. I'm quite, like, I think, like, an excitable toddler a lot of the time. I quite enjoy to wear toddler I mean I'm, I'm basically in black today, so it's not really the best, best day, but I'm quite, like, I like to sort of, like, I don't know, quite limmy and also I like to think that like I like I'd like to be a frog because I think you can go and see your friends in the water so like I think I'm quite adaptable so like you know I can be can be there in the forest like just having a little chat with like I don't know like the leopards and the the flamingo <laughs> there has been a water. lot of thoughts yeah so I'm like, I feel like I can, I can, I'm on land I'm also in water like I think I'm quite adaptable think you know I'm not I'm not top of the chain I'm not the most elegant I'm not kind of you know but I'm, I'm working away you know I'm part of the ecology and I'm happy I'm happy with where I am some, some frogs might be offended by that that they're not very elegant 
I mean, I'm sure there are elegant frocks, just not, <laughs> not this one. Um, not this one. Um, thank you so much yeah, for that interview. You. Thank you. And um, so if people are listening out there and they want to know more about Art With Heart, what should they do? Uh, you can go to our website, which is www.artwithheart.org.uk. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter, at artwith underscore heart. The other one was taken. Uh, or you can go on Facebook at... Uh, uh, and on Instagram and Facebook, we are Art With Heart. But also, just come and talk to our faces. We like to talk to people. So if you see us out and about, talk to us. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Well, that was the final episode of series three thank you so much to rachel for that wonderful wonderful interview i also wanted to just do a quick shout out to all the people we've had on this series to start with we had the equity president maureen Beatty. then we had adam and hannah from box of tricks theater company then episode three was with claire simmons from the lowry the senior producer there episode four was with nikki miles wilden and then episode five was with garfield allen who's from stun Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Please do give us your feedback, give us a retweet, tell us what you think. Um, It's been an absolute pleasure to do Series 3 and we hope you've enjoyed listening. So from myself and Joe, thank you very much and see you soon. Bye.